really want to know the, the, the price. It'll cost you everything. service is awake and alive. So glad that you're here with us today. I'm Jeremy and stoked to be able to open the Word of God with you today. Before we do that, uh, if this is your first time here, I want to give a special welcome to you. This is not our normal weekend, all right? So we don't have silent auctions, raffles every weekend. This is a special weekend in the life of our church and uh, one we look forward to every year. And with that said, can we appreciate our high school students and leaders going to Mexico? Come on, let, let them hear you in the ministry mall out there. Love you guys. Super stoked for this weekend. Uh, so glad that you're here with us today. Before we dive into the Word of God, I just I want to pray for you. I believe that God has a special word that he wants to share with each and every single one of you today. So let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, right now, would you, would you take away any distraction that would keep us from hearing you speak clearly? God, we want to go beyond hearing the word of God with our ears and with our minds. We want to receive your word with our hearts. So God, give us a, a hunger that comes from you, a passion that comes from you, an eagerness that comes from you. God, as, as we desire to be the people that you want us to be. So God, those areas of our life where we can't change ourselves, would you change us? And God, for those that are hurting today, would you offer a word of encouragement God, for those that find themselves distant from you today, would you allow them to draw close to you? God, take over my mouth, my mind, my heart. Speak and declare the message you have in store for your people today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give a shout out to those joining us online. So glad that you're here with us today as well. Hey, what I want everybody to do just for a moment is raise your left hand as high as you possibly can. Just for a moment, everybody in the room, if you're watching as well, as high as you possibly can. Okay, good. Hold it there. Now raise it just a little bit higher. All right. That was awesome. I wish you could have seen that. <laughs> Did you get that? Raise your hand as high as you possibly can. You're like, oh, and then raise a little bit higher. You raised it a little bit higher. Why? Because at the end of the day, we can all do a little bit more. That's our word for the year. It's more, more of Jesus in our lives. You're like, that wasn't near as entertaining for us, Jeremy, as it was for you. But we're in the midst of this series titled All In, where we're all in in every area of our life. And we're talking about those areas of our lives where we just struggle to be all in in our walk with Christ. We've talked about being all in with relationships, with our speech which is really a reflection of our hearts, all in with the church, all in with our time. And we're spending three weeks now looking at being all in with our treasure, with our money. It's such an important topic in the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, meet me in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you in just a moment. Jesus talked about money and finances all the time. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables we're about money and possessions. There's 500 verses in scripture on prayer. There's less than 500 verses on faith. And there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money and possessions. 
And so we're going to spend several weeks just talking about how do we be all, how are we all in with our money, our possessions, living life that God wants us to. Because if we're not careful, we're going to be like this gentleman that got baptized. I love this picture right here. He got dunked and he got all the way under, but he held his wallet out of the water. I just love that. Because that can be our tendency at times. And today we're looking at a historical account. Jesus has this interaction with this young man that just asked this brilliant question. And I love the response of Jesus. So would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, as he, Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You may be seated. As we look at the story, we see this man that approaches Jesus and asks this question. And there's three things that we see about this man. First of all, he was rich. We don't know exactly how rich he was. He was wealthy. He had a lot of property. He had a lot of possessions. Second of all, he was young. He was beyond his youth, and he was not at the stage of life where he was elderly. He was most likely in the prime of his life, probably in his 20s or 30s. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Now, we don't know exactly which people he oversaw. Most likely he worked in the synagogue, but he was a man that told people where to go, told people what to do. He was a rich, young ruler. Everything seemed to be going his way, yet at the end of it, there was an itch in his life he could not scratch, something that didn't satisfy him. He did not know what it meant or looked like to have peace with God. And even as I say that, you may be here today. And from the outside, you you have everything. 
you've got plenty of money, your age is just where you want it to be, you've got plenty of wealth, you've got plenty of health, on the outside everything looks great, but inside you don't have peace with God. Inside there's this, this, this longing to know what does it mean to be right with God. So as we unfold this account with Jesus today, I want us to understand that every single one of us can experience the joy of Jesus by understanding what the rich young ruler did wrong and what he did right. First thing that we're going to do is look at what did the rich young ruler do right, point one in your notes. He did three things correctly. Number one, he went to the right source. He went to the right source. He came running up to Jesus. He knelt in front of Jesus. He comes eagerly. He comes with humility. He comes to Jesus. Why Jesus? Why is it important that we go to the right source? The word of God, the one who created us, the one who is the creator. Why? Because Jesus has all the right answers. I want to say that one more time. All the answers in life are found in the scripture. All the answers in life are found in Jesus. Jesus will never lie. Jesus will never be dishonest. Jesus will never tell us something that's incorrect. Jesus has the best interests of our life. Jesus will always lead us down the right path. So I have to ask you, what's your source that you go to regarding the questions in life? Is it a friend? Is it the news? Is it Alexa? Is it Siri? Like those questions in life, what's your source? Because the first thing that he did right is that he went to the right source, the source being Jesus. Second thing that he did, he asked the right question. He asked the right question. We see this question that he asked, what can I do to experience eternal life? He asked the right question. I believe that one of the greatest things we can do in life is ask wise, intelligent questions. Not the questions that my kids will ask me when we're traveling, when they consistently ask, Dad, are we almost there? Dad, when are we going to get there? Dad, when are we going to get there? Well, let me just tell you something, kids. If you keep asking that question, you're never going to get there, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but, but asking wise questions, not like people that do sports and interview athletes. I am blown away at the foolishness of the questions that they ask at times. I would love to be just a sports uh, interviewer at times. Uh, so how did it feel to lose? Horrible, all right? How did it feel to win? Great. I mean, these guys are like, there's no thought to these questions. What are you going to try to do next game? We're going to try to win, you idiot. I would just love if these athletes would actually answer these questions honestly, right? Why did they win? Because they scored more points. It's like, come on, Captain Obvious. But he asked the right question. He asked the right question, what must I do to be saved? This is the greatest question we could ever ask. He had everything going on in his life, and yet the one thing he didn't realize was, was how can I experience eternal life? How can I be right with God? How can I know that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven? See, he knew what it meant to live, but he didn't know what it meant to die. Growing up, um, for me, I would often ask my dad uh, questions about life because he for the most part, was a reliable source. And so I remember I was younger, and I said, Dad, how, did, how does somebody have a baby? And he looked at me, and he didn't know what to say, and he said, Jeremy, it, it, it really takes place when you pray a lot. Um, talk about something that killed my prayer life, church, you know? It's like, Jeremy, do you want to pray for the food? No, thank you. Um, but I was, I was young. I was like eight, teen. And so it was just good that we could have those kind of conversations. 
But what did he do? He went to the right source. He asked the right question. Thirdly, in your notes, he heard the right answer. He heard the right answer. He goes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, after he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because there's no one good but God alone. And I believe in that moment, most likely, there was this long, awkward pause to just let that sink in. Why do you call me good? Because there's nobody good but God alone. In other words, young man, are you, are you calling me God? Do you realize that I'm God in the flesh? Because we see from the Old Testament, so many of the Psalms refer to God as being good. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 105, verse 5, for the Lord is good. Psalm 135, for the Lord is good. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good. We see this repeatedly in the Old Testament that God is good. But what the young man didn't realize is that, that no one is good. No human being is good. In fact, we see that in the Psalms that no one is good, no one is righteous, all are sinful. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 3 takes really a summary of the Old Testament statements and says, there is no one good, there was no one righteous, there is no one who does good, no, not one. And so, so Jesus in this way that where he's saying, you know what, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone is trying to let this young man realize that A, that he's God, and B, that this man is not good. He's not at this point trying to tell him the way to salvation. What he's trying to tell him is that he actually needs salvation. And so he has this interaction. He tells him the right answer. And then he goes on and says, well, you know the commandments. In other words, Jesus is saying, well, to answer your question, he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, do not defraud. In other words, the six commandments that have to do with our relationship with other people. And I, and, I, and I love this because what did he get right? He went to the right source. He asked the right question. He heard the right answer. But there's a difference between hearing something and actually receiving it. See, when we hear it, it goes into our ears and into our minds. When we receive something, it goes into our hearts and it literally changes us. So he does these three things right, but notice what he gets wrong, point two in your notes. What did the rich young ruler get wrong? Number one. He believed he could keep the commandments of God. He actually believed that he could keep the Ten Commandments. He probably looked at his life and said, you know what, when I look at my life, I, I can't remember ever lying. I've never killed anybody. Check, feeling good about myself. Uh, I, I've been a good uh, child to my mom and dad. I've been pretty respectful. And yet when we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at the law, the law was given to us for us to realize that we do have sin in our life. The law was given to us to, to allow us to realize that we are not good, that we are sinners, that we need grace, that we need forgiveness, that we need a Savior. In fact, I want to just put up five of the Ten Commandments on the screens to allow us to realize that we are all sinners, to realize what this rich young ruler should have realized himself. First commandment, that God should be number one in our life, true or false. I have always put the Lord first and I have always given the Lord first place in my life. I have never let anything or anyone else take the place that God should have in my life. True or false? False. 
I've never taken the Lord's name in vain or used God's name in a careless or thoughtless way. I have always treated God's name with the utmost reverence and respect. For me, again, that's false. Thirdly, I've always honored my parents and have given them the highest respect. I have never disobeyed my parents. And when I was younger, I never needed or deserved a spanking. You guys are a bunch of freaks in here. I said spanking and you all laughed. How many of you got a spanking when you were a kid? Good. How many of you should have gotten a lot more when you were a kid? All righty. God's grace is good. I'm going to just take that, take it that, oh, that was a false for all of us on that one. Uh, fourthly, I have never stolen anything from anyone. I have never taken anything that did not belong to me. I've always respected the property and possessions of others. False. Uh, by the way, just a little side note. If you ever need a Bible here, we've got Bibles for free. You can go ahead and take those. Um, if you do have 13 at the house, you have been stealing, and you need to bring those back to the church. All right? Just, just throwing that out there. All right? False. All right? Uh, fifthly, I have never coveted or desired something that someone else had. I have never had a strong desire for my neighbor's house or swimming pool or boat or automobile or wife or husband or anything else belonging to my neighbor. I have always been totally content and satisfied with what God has given to me. False. For every single one of us, these are false. And yet this young man, he actually thought he had kept the commands of God. He was delusional. Must have been smoking a little something, something. You know what I'm saying? Like there was something wrong with this man's life, and yet that was the culture that he lived in. People thought that they were good. That's the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that, morally speaking, people think that they're good. People think that they're good enough. We don't realize the sin that we have in our lives, and that's what the law was given for, so that we would realize our sin that keeps us from having this relationship with God. And I love what James chapter 2.10 says. James says that if we've broken one of the laws, we've broken all of them. You know, one of the things my kids love to do is they love to snack. And uh, they will get a bag of Cheetos out, or they'll get a bag of goldfish, or uh, whatever. And they'll start eating these, and their their mouth will get really dry. And they'll say, Dad, can can I get a drink of your water? And it's always a brand new bottle of water, one I haven't opened, and I'm just like, oh, okay, sure, because I want to be a good dad, and they'll take it, and they'll get a little drink, and they'll put the lid back on there, like, here you go, dad. And I take it back, and I look in it. <laughs> and I'm like, why is there pulp in my water right now? Right? The whole thing is ruined. And they're like, Dad, can I have some more? Yeah, just take the whole body bottle because I don't want to have to chew what's going on in there anymore. There's like fishies floating around and all that. And my kids do that. And the water's just messed up. Like I could spend the rest of my time cleaning the, the, the water and trying to get it, but it will never get clean. I need a new bottle of water. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're like, that's why I no longer share my water with anybody. You need a new bottle of water. See this, this young man, he didn't realize he needed a new life. He didn't realize that not only did he have sin in his life, but if he was guilty of breaking one of the laws, he was guilty of breaking all of the laws. Now, most of us recognize that we have sin in our life. But so many people don't realize that we are helpless sinners in need of a Savior. He actually thought that he could keep the commands 
of God. And I love Jesus' response as, as, Jesus, as he says, all these I've kept since I was a youth. Some translations just say Jesus looked at him and left him. I love this verse because it gives me hope. It gives all of us hope. Why? Because Jesus hates sin. Oh, but he loves sinners. And even in the midst of the sin that I have in my life, Jesus looks at me and he loves me. And Jesus does for me, he does for you, he does for this young man what we all need. He looks and he sees our greatest need. And he goes and he, he tells them, okay, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. I love the King James Version says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, pick up your cross, and follow me. So you could see right into this man, he knew what the the one thing was that was keeping him from following Jesus. He knew that if he thought he could keep all of the commands, Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to give you right now one command I know that you can't keep. And you'll realize that you're not good. And so he says, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. Why? Because this was the one thing that was getting in the way of his walk with God. This was his idol. This was the thing that he was worshiping. And he walks away, the scriptures say, sad, heartbroken, disheartened. Church, I don't know if there's a sadder verse in scripture. Here's a man that went to the right source. He asked the right question. Here, the right answer. Here he is face to face with the only one that could save him. Here he is face to face, not just hearing the answer, Jesus is the answer, and he literally walks away sad. Why? Because his riches were more valuable to him than eternal life. See, the first mistake he made was he actually thought he could keep the commands of God. Second of all, in your notes, he allowed wealth to come between him and God. He allowed his wealth to come between him and God. At this moment, he makes both an earthly and eternal decision. And I love what Billy Graham says. Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord this last week, uh, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel of all time. This is what Billy Graham said. He said, there's nothing wrong with possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. Think about that. Your wallet You will either possess your wallet or your wallet will possess you. This man was possessed by his riches. He allowed wealth to come between him and God. He had an idol in his life. Now, let me me just be very clear just for a moment. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with living a life where God has blessed you. In fact, some of you, God has gifted you with gifts and abilities. I think you need to use those gifts and abilities And you think you need to make a lot of money and be generous towards God and others. There's nothing wrong with it. Money becomes a problem when it's an idol. When we worship money more than we worship God, it becomes a problem. Paul Paul put it this way to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He didn't say that money was wrong. He said the love of money is wrong. So anytime it's an idol, anytime we love it, or thirdly, Either anytime we trust our money more than we trust God, it's a problem. See, this man's faith was ultimately in his money. If he got sick, oh, he would just go and pay for the greatest doctor. If there was a food shortage, he would just make sure he had enough money to purchase food. His faith was not in God. His faith was in his money. So anytime money is an idol, anytime we love it, anytime our faith is in our finances instead of God, that's when it's a problem. 
And he sees right through this man's heart. He sees the great issue in his life. And he calls him to give up the idol, the faith in the money, the one thing that he was loving, which was hindering him from following Jesus. He allowed wealth to come between him and God. Believe that one of the hardest things you and I will do for the rest of our lives is deal with this whole area of money and possessions and constantly say, God, you're, you're my greatest treasure. God, I don't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with you. Here's three things in your notes that most people fail to understand about wealth. Number one, God provides everything we have. Everything we have comes from God. Your spouse is a gift from God. Your money, a gift from God. The house you live in, it's a gift from God. Your ability to work, a gift from God. Your ability to think, a gift from God. You fill in the blank. Everything we have, God has provided. It is literally a gift from God. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. Everything's a gift. And if there's one person that understood this, if there's one person that, that received this and lived this way, it was King David. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, King David put it this way. This is what he said. He said, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, and all our fathers, as all of our fathers were, our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I love that. What did David understand? David understood that everything the people of Israel had was provided by God. Second of all, it all came from God. It all came from God, is provided by God. And then in your notes, not only does God tell us that God provides everything we have, but he tells us to be stewards of what he gives us. So God gives us everything, and God owns everything. That's the simple way. God gives us everything, and God owns everything. And when we understand that God owns everything and that it's not ours, it changes everything. I was 16 years old. I got my driver's license. My dad let me borrow his car. It was a 1984 Ford Fairmont station wagon. It was blue, covered in rust. It was uh, what I got to drive, and I was still nervous to drive it because it wasn't mine. It was my dad's. And this car would stall from time to time. It was known as the blue bomb because it would backfire. Uh, people would think there was gunfire, and uh, it was just crazy. So I remember one day driving down a residential street, and my dad had taught me and trained me of the car stalls throw it up into neutral, restart the car, put it back into drive, and just keep going. And so I was driving one day, and the car uh, stalled, and I threw it up into neutral, uh, past neutral, all the way up into park. Yeah, let me tell you something. That car started literally jumping up and down in the middle of the street, and it screeched to a halt, and I started shaking because I realized I just destroyed my dad's transmission. So I tried to start it up again. It... Uh, Eventually started up, pulled it back uh, into the driveway when I got home, uh, gave my dad the keys and said, Dad, thanks so much for letting me drive the car. Uh, a week later, he starts talking to my mom and says, you know, have you noticed uh, there's 
problems with the transmission uh, in the vehicle. And my mom's like, no, I, I haven't noticed. Um, I eventually told my dad 10 years later, I said, hey, dad, uh, <laughs> thank, thanks so much for letting me borrow your car. But everything changed because I realized it wasn't mine. When we realize, isn't it cool to be able to tell your folks the dumb things you did when you're out of the house and the car is somebody else's? God provides it all. God owns it all. When we understand that God owns it all, it changes everything. Because we're not owners, we're, we're stewards. We're managers. God has entrusted us with everything that we have to make wise decisions. Love what Psalm 24 says in the New Living Translation. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. God gives us everything. God owns everything. Thirdly, in your notes, God calls us to live a life of sacrifice. God calls us to live a life of sacrifice. What does it mean to sacrifice? It means to surrender something for the sake of something else. That's what it means to, to follow Jesus. It says, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. We have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to sacrifice our wants, our desires, our longings to love out the longings and desires and passions of Jesus. And it starts with ourselves. It starts with our bodies. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He puts it this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To literally offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And it doesn't just stop there. It's, it's things that we have. Now, God is not going to ask all of us like this rich young man to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But he may. There may be a point in our lives where God says, I want you to give up everything to make sure that I am your greatest treasure. There may be a time in, in your life where you have that one thing that God asks you to surrender, that one thing that God asks you to sacrifice. There's a man that called me this last week. Uh, he's been going to our church ever since the fall of last year. His first time here was last year in the summer. His daughter invited him because he got baptized, or she was getting baptized. So she was getting baptized with her fiance, invited her father to come. He came, watched them both get baptized. Her daughter, after getting baptized, wanted to give her, her dad a Bible, uh, hasn't been to church much, not very religious. Um, he's in his probably 50s. She gives him this Bible, highlights a bunch of passages of Scripture, writes this long note in the beginning about her love for the Lord, her love for her father, and writes down a date of when she wants him to come back, which is the next baptism. It was last fall. He comes to church that Saturday night. He hears the gospel. He gives his life to Jesus Christ. He gets baptized. He's been coming to our church ever since. Last weekend, he heard about the Mexico fundraiser going on and this whole all-in theme that we're doing. And he's like, man, I, we got to do something. He talks to his wife after the service. He says, you know what, I, I want to donate a Yeti cooler. Now, I don't know if you know about those, but those are awesome. They're like $500. They keep stuff cold for like 16 years. It's just <laughs> awesome. It's, they're, they're, they're just great. And they're, they're, they're talking and leaving. And she's like, no. We, 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 we don't need to donate a Yeti cooler. You need to donate a pool. You need to donate a swimming pool, like a $30,000 one. And his response was, are you out of your mind? And so they went to lunch, and they prayed, and he's like, you're right. We, we need to donate a swimming pool to this 
to this fundraiser for the youth. And so there's a, a swimming pool out there, value at $30,000 because somebody listened to God. And I got to talk to him, hear a story this week, and I said, hey, first of all, it's awesome having you uh, at our church. Thank you so much for your generosity. Second of all, keep listening to your wife, all right? <laughs> so, but it's just, it's cool when God puts stuff on our hearts. And some of you guys, hey, ladies, can we just appreciate uh, listening to your spouse, you know? Um, but it's just cool how God calls us at times to live a life of sacrifice. Back to this story. These disciples ask, who can be saved? Because Jesus just said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. The guys are like, it's impossible. And Jesus says, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. These disciples realized that they weren't able to save themselves. Jeremiah 17 says that the uh, heart is desperately wicked. In, in other words, there is no cure for the sin in our hearts. Like who can understand it? How can we get right before God? How can we be declared holy? Well, it's not based upon our work. It's based upon the finished work of the cross. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to be a teacher. He came to live a sinless life. But ultimately, he came to die on the cross in our place, offer us forgiveness to do what we can't do ourselves and allow us to have a relationship with God that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that when we die, we will be forever in heaven with Jesus. Thirdly, what did he get wrong? In your notes, he failed to understand the generosity of God. This rich young ruler didn't understand that God is generous. That God will always give more than we could ever give to him. In fact, Jesus said, whoever's given up uh, houses and um, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers will receive a hundred times fold in this life and in the next in other words, Jesus is saying, you can't outgive God. Like, like try it. You, you can't outgive. This guy did not understand that as much as he had, God was going to give him more. God was going to give him what he could not buy himself. God was going to give him a life of peace. God was going to give him a life of joy. God was going to give him a life of hope, a life of confidence. God was going to give him so much more than he could ever have without God. He did not understand the generosity of God. And when we get that, it changes us. When we understand that God is generous, we begin being generous ourselves. In fact, I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham put it this way, God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. He failed to understand the generosity of God. And then fourthly in your notes, he missed the treasure in front of him. This is the tragedy of the story. He missed the greatest treasure. The most valuable thing was the person standing right in front of him, which is Jesus. See, Jesus isn't the way to the treasure. Don't miss this. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus isn't the means to more. Jesus is the more. And so is there anything that's getting in the way of you experiencing the treasure of Jesus because yes, this rich young man got some things right, but he got so many things wrong. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the greatest, the most valuable, the most precious person, the most precious thing we could ever have in this life and in the next. 
reflect two questions in your notes. Number one is what is your treasure? What is your treasure? What's that thing you think about the most? What consumes your heart? What consumes your mind? Because when Jesus is our greatest treasure, we are constantly thinking about how we can love him more, how we can worship him more, how can we be a part of seeing more people come to know Christ. Because if, if, if Jesus is not our greatest treasure, then it will either be Jesus or it will be yourself or your stuff. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be yourself or your stuff. And you don't have to have a lot of money to have your treasure be stuff. It can be your cell phone. It can be your house. It can be your car. It can be your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. What's your greatest treasure? And then next in your notes, what needs to change? What needs to change? It's your heart. Maybe it's your perspective. Maybe it's your priorities. Maybe it's a the way you see yourself. Maybe you've always seen yourself as a good person before today. And what needs to change is how you see yourself, that you are a sinner that desperately needs the grace of God. What needs to change? And then next, what needs to be surrendered? And maybe today, the greatest thing that needs to be surrendered is your life. Jesus, he hates sin, but he loves sinners. That's our hope. That's my hope. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encounter that Jesus had with this young man. That from the world's perspective, he had absolutely everything. But because he didn't have Jesus, he had nothing. And so God, where where there needs to be change in our life because we have treasures that are more important than you would, you, would you make those changes for us? God, where we're consumed with ourself or consumed with our stuff, God, we don't want anything to get in the way of our walk with you. So if there's something today that needs to be dealt with, something today that needs to be surrendered, that's getting in the way of our walk with you. God, you're calling somebody and you want to speak to them right now. <laughs> God, we, we just want to listen. Would you help us to do that today? With all heads bowed, nobody looking around. Maybe you're here today and for the first time today you realize that you're not good. Compared to the holiness and the perfection of God, you are a sinner that desperately needs the grace of God. For the first time, you realize that Jesus Christ died so that you can experience life. Today, you want to make the greatest decision of your life and surrender your life to Jesus. You can do that through the simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. It's a prayer that goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I realize that the only way I can experience eternal life is through you. So right now in this moment, I repent of my sin. 
and I give you total control of my life. God, I ask that the rest of my life would be the best of my life. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, but if that's your prayer today for the first time, would you just raise your hand and look at me if you prayed that prayer. Just wherever you're at, just raise your hand. Good, I see that hand. Good, I see that hand. Good, I see that hand. I see those hands, that hand over there. Good, sir, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Good, I see that hand over there, over here. Good, those two over there. Is there anyone else? It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Good, sir, I see that hand as well. Good over there. Awesome. Awesome. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the hands that were raised and the hearts that were surrendered today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, church, uh, can we just appreciate those that surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ? Can I, I, not too often do I almost start crying. Um, you know, it, it never gets old seeing people come to know Jesus. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where we rally behind people that surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Um, and so if you made a decision, we are proud of you. Uh, if you would fill out the Cove card in the seat back in front of you that just checks off the box that says, uh, I made a decision. Uh, the next step would be to get baptized uh, Easter weekend. But we want you to be a fully committed follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. Can we just appreciate all those that made decisions one more time? In fact, our prayer team is going to be up front. Um, we would love to just kind of walk with you some next steps in your journey with Jesus. We'd love to encourage you. Before you go, um, if you'd pull out your bulletins just real briefly, there's an insert on the uh, Mexico fundraiser. There's a black and white side. You can read that later about the opportunities. There's a colored side with a tier one, tier two, tier three. It's got the red and the green. And just want to share with you what's possible um, you know, if there's $30,000, which is a lot that's given this weekend, um, the team will be able to have 10 rental vans for 70 people, insurance tolls, gas, and be able to build and furnish two houses. With $40,000, they'll be able to build three houses. With $50,000, um, be able to build four houses. And uh, I just want to thank you in advance for your generosity. It's great to rally behind our young people. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And uh, there are so many different ways to be involved. You can get to-go boxes for the lunch. Um, there's raffle, silent auction, bake sale. If you have any questions, ask one of the people wearing the Mexico t-shirts. But let's just stand and let's just pray that God would do a mighty work this weekend. God, uh, once again, just so thankful for those that surrendered their life to Jesus Christ today. Watch over them, protect them in ways that only you can. And God, as we, as we have this opportunity right now, we just consider it a privilege to be, be generous. Uh, everything that we have comes from you and the privilege to rally behind our young people. So God, uh, do what you can. Use us. Use what belongs to you to uh, lift up your name and to bless these young people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.